Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We will be looking starting in verse 13. Matthew 5 begins the first public teaching of of Jesus' new ministry. Jesus has come out publicly as a teacher, as a rabbi, as Messiah. And he gathers people together on a mound and begins speaking to the masses. And he begins by speaking about the Beatitudes, which people have debated what they mean. Basically a a statement of how a Christian needs to see things and view their life. Then he gets to verse 13 and he starts by saying, you are the salt of the earth. And this is, a, this is a parable, this is a parabolic saying, as it were. Uh, we are not physically salt, we are not physically light, but Jesus says you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He says that you are the light of the world in Matthew, in Mark 4, and in Luke 8 and 11, but only in Matthew does he use the illustration of salt, that we are the salt of the earth. And when you, if you were to read about this, if you were to read things about Jesus, commentaries on the gospel, apart from John 3.16 and the talk with Nicodemus, salt and light are probably talked about more than anything else in the gospels. And there is debate even today as to uh, what did he mean when he said salt? Because salt is all of these things. And salt, if you lived in the time of Jesus, you lived under Roman occupation, and they would actually use salt for currency. They would pay soldiers in salt, which is where we get the phrase, you are not worth or you are worth your salt. Are you worth your salt? Salt was also used to flavor things as today, and there's all manner of talk about how Christians can be a flavoring to the world today. Salt was used to, uh, to seal contracts, that if we were having some sort of sale of a donkey or something like that, we might exchange salt as a way to say, well, this has value, we are going to keep this going. But the, the part of salt that we want to look at today, the part that the world needs more than anything else in today's way is salt as a preservative. Salt preserves that which is good. There was no refrigeration in Jesus' day if they were going to have leftover lamb or whatever. There was no way to store it so that it wouldn't rot by the next day except for you could pack it in salt. And if you packed it in salt, It would slow down the corruption process. It would slow down the rotting of the meat. Now, when you went to eat it, it would probably be very salty, but 
it was still good, it wouldn't kill you because salt is a preservative in that way. One commentator said that in today's world, we need salt and light because we need salt because the world is corrupt and getting more and more corrupt, and we need light because the world is in darkness. And when we look at these two thoughts, we are going to look at what Jesus says about them and what it says about our lives. If you look at salt and light in the context, there is one thing that Jesus wanted his disciples to do and one thing that Jesus wants us to do, and that is he wants us to influence society. He wants a situation to be different when a Christian joins it. He wants a, a <clears throat> workplace to be different when a Christian enters that workplace. He wants things in the world to be different when Christians are present. And there are many reasons for that. The main reason is we have the Holy Spirit, and as the Holy Spirit is in us, when we enter any situation with other people, we are bringing the presence of God literally, figuratively, truthfully into that room, into that workplace, into that store, into that family gathering. And Jesus is saying it needs to have some level of, of impact. Now, this goes against what the world says today. The world says today that people are basically good. The whole, uh, it is called politically the progressive movement. The progressive movement may have many programs, but the basis of that thought goes way, way back to almost the 1600s. The thought of the progressive movement is that people are basically good. They are just oppressed, and if we can remove the oppression of poverty, if we can remove the oppression of whatever it is that we are picking as the oppression today, if we can remove that, people will flourish because people are basically good in their heart. If people are left to themselves, as has been said by people in Washington, if people are left to themselves, they will always do the right thing. This is a view that is pervasive today, and it goes against what the Bible says. The Bible says that people are basically sinful. They are desperately wicked. They are totally depraved. People left to themselves will be the most ungodly, wicked people that you have ever seen. And we see that in the world today as the world gets worse and worse and worse. There was corruption in that in Jesus' day, it was mostly through the Romans and through the false teachers that had made their way into the high priest, the head of the Jewish synagogue. And the, the corruption that existed then didn't stop when Jesus died and rose again and Christianity started. The corruption continues today, getting bigger and bigger and bigger in society and around the world. We're not just talking about America. I mean, you can't look at a place like North Korea, where people are just stepped on all the time. They are nothing but a number for the production for the state. 
And you can't say, well, that's a good, flourishing place that I want to live. There aren't a lot of flights going into North Korea. In fact, there are none. And if they were going, they would be empty because left to themselves, a person being given absolute and total power over a group of people, he will become a tyrant. He will become a dictator. He will use the country for his own benefit. And so we see the advance of corruption. We see the advance of rottenness. And what Jesus is saying is that as Christians, we need to be the force. We need to be the influence that slows that down. We will never, ever, ever clean up the whole world. There will never be pervasive righteousness until Jesus comes back again. But in the meantime, we can slow it down. We can keep it from taking over. And as Christians lose their influence, as Christians decide not to make these choices to do things to slow down the corruption of society, then it will slow down, then it will speed up, then it will continue until Jesus Christ comes again. The world is going to hell as fast as it can, and it seems to like that direction that it is going, and we need to be the type of people who, by our influence, slow that down, person by person, work situation by work situation, school by school, telephone call by telephone call. When we look at the world today, it is said that there is no truth, that there is no uh, personal responsibility. Time magazine had an article back in 1969 about how Young people are very willing to blame others for their problems, that if they don't have enough money for this or if they have a broken family, blaming other people for their situation was becoming prevalent in 1969 even, and today the idea of personal responsibility, the idea of I had a part in this is is missing and so people need to look at that and what Christians can add to the mix is that the sin in a situation, the sin in my life starts with me. I'm the one who is bringing sin into my life. I am the one who is making bad choices. I am the one who is moving things in a sinful way in my life and influencing others. When we talk about influence, we're mostly talking about character. Everybody has character. Everybody has um, integrity. And you could say, well, no, not everybody does. Well, there's good integrity and bad integrity. There's a good character and a bad character. Character is what I believe in my core and will come out in my activities. Integrity is asking the question, am I the same in public and in private when nobody is watching. And if I am righteous and holy and trying to advance God in public, and I also do that in private, then I can say I have a good character, I have a godly character, I also have integrity, because I am a Christian all the time, 
everywhere. And so when we're talking about salt, we're talking about something that slows down the corruption. And you say, well, how can a Christian slow down corruption? Let's say in a workplace, a workplace where people have no focus on God. I think that what a person can do is present Christ in action, in speech, without obviously preaching Christ. I can have a type of talk that is uplifting, that is loving, that is not blaming, that is trying to bring people together instead of tear them apart. When you look at the, uh, the gifts of the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, the list before it is a list of the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh are things like division and disunity and blaming. And the fruit of the Spirit is things like love and unity, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness. I can be kind and gentle in my speech, in my activities, in my choices. And I think people will see that. And today, especially because the influence of Christ has really waned in the general public, I think they may notice that something is different. Now, they won't fall to their knees and accept Christ if you're kind, but I think they will notice that something is different, and I think it will slow things down. Uh, back when I worked, back before I was a pastor, I was a computer programmer, and I worked at Western Digital, and Western Digital in San Jose, you all had these cubicles, and what I would do is I would come in every morning and I would open the drawer to my desk and there was a Bible. And I would pick up the Bible, I'd just open it to a random passage and just lay it on my desk. And then I would work. And so if anybody came into my cubicle, they would see this book. One thing that I found out, and I find it, it is even true today, is that there are very few books that are fancy leather bound with gold edges and have this little cloth, little marker thing. That is a unique thing in a book form. And it seems to be that even today, a lot of people, even though they have never read a Bible, they know what one looks like. It seems to be true. I have, I have worked with several people, even since I've been a pastor, I have talked with people who have never darkened the door of a church, but they know what a Bible looks like. It's the strangest thing. We make them look really unique, really thick and thin pages and pretty leather. And, and so people would look at it and people would change their tone when they were asking me things. They would change how they were talking to me. People um, wouldn't be as rough or vulgar when they were in my cubicle as they would be in other people's cubicle. Now, I didn't say anything. I didn't have a big flag saying, I'm a Christian. I just brought the presence of God into my little six-by-eight cubicle, and it has an effect on people. And it's the strangest thing. You can influence people without even 
saying a word. You can influence people without even writing a letter. You can influence people just by your presence, just by what you have around you. And I think that that goes to the fact that everything today, even though it's denied left and right, everything today is spiritual. Everybody is in a spiritual journey. Some people under the wrath of God are in a spiritual battle. Some people, believers in Jesus Christ, are on an upward spiritual journey. But it's all spiritual. All this physical stuff is going to go away. The, the core of Christianity is a spiritual walk. And I think as salt, we can be such that people act differently and think differently around us. Nobody is going to get knowledge about God or Jesus Christ if you are salt. All salt does is slow down the garbage of the world, is slow down the corruption of the world. The more Christians are in places and in things and contacting people, the slower the corruption will be. Of course, we cannot stop it. Salt does not have the ability to take rotten meat and make it good. Salt does not have the ability to take a corrupted society and make it righteous. Okay? Salt does not change things, it preserves things. And as we are Christians in various parts, we can slow down. I know a barber who's a Christian who works in San Jose, actually barbers in Palo Alto. And as most barber shops are, they don't have a line of people out the door, especially during COVID. And so he would have periods of time where he isn't cutting hair. And he has a Bible. It's actually, I've seen it. It's actually bigger than this. It's a big old honking Bible. And he sits in the barber chair and reads it. And I've talked with him about it, and he said he could read the Bible on his iPad. He could read the Bible on his phone. But he said, when you're on your phone reading the Bible, nobody knows what you're doing. You could be playing a game, you could be on Facebook, you could be reading the New York Times, could be anything. When you're on your phone, he said, when you have this thing, this big old leather bound, and it's a really soft calf leather, and it's really bright red Thing. I mean, it's, it's an audacious Bible. And he does it on purpose because he wants people to notice he's reading the Bible. He wants people to notice he's reading the Bible because he wants to be salt in their lives. Now, some people will come to the barbershop. There's three or four chairs. And some people will wait in line for him because they know he's reading the Bible and they figure that must be a guy who knows how to cut hair, if he's reading the Bible. Other people are so put off by it, they want nothing to do with this influence, so they will go to another one. And so he has clientele who are unsaved, but know he's a Christian and think that's a neat thing. They like to be in the presence of the presence of God. 
Others are so offended by it, they want the chair farthest away from him. And so salt is, is hidden. It works in secret. Light is more obvious. The goal of being salt is to slow down corruption. The idea of light is to fix it. Salt works from within. It speaks to their soul. It speaks to their spirit. While light speaks to their mind and speaks to their behavior. Salt works through living. Light works through teaching. Light is positive, revealing what is wrong in the world. While salt is negative, it slows down corruption. So we need to be both salt and light. Jesus said that we are the light of the world. Now elsewhere in scripture, Jesus said that he was the light of the world. And I think what Jesus is saying is that he's the light of the world, the true light of the world, the real light of the world, but he is going away. He's going back up to heaven. And in the meantime, until he comes again, we become the light of the world. We are not the same level. We are not the same influence as Christ. When Christ was on earth, his light and salt that he was bringing exponentially into the world, the persecution was against him personally. There was not great um, apostle or disciple persecution while Jesus was alive. The high priest, Pilate, uh, the Sanhedrin were against Jesus individually, as an individual person, and their belief was, their thought was, if we can get rid of this one person, if we can get rid of this one troublemaker, get rid of this one fly in the ointment, then this whole movement will stop, of course, when Jesus died on the cross, was raised from the dead, and then on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God came and were put into the believers, when that occurred, then the light that is coming from Jesus began to come through us. People have talked about what light Jesus had, and the, the metaphor, what's like it, is uh, Jesus Christ is the sun, S-U-N. Jesus Christ is the source of light. Jesus Christ is the purest light. He is the, 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 the one that you can't stare at without burning out your eyes. We are like the moon. We have no light in ourselves, but Jesus is so bright, we can reflect the brightness, the light of Jesus. We can reflect the truth, the purity of Jesus, and you add to it the fact that we have the Holy Spirit, and so there is not only the, the reflection of Jesus, but it is the generation of that light from within us and going out. You have to, if you are a light of the world, you have to do something. You have to say something. While salt is more passive, uh, I am being salt by sitting in a Starbucks, if you're allowed to do that now, 
and read my Bible, read a book that obviously looks like a Bible. That is salt, it is passive. I am wanting people to see it and perhaps slow down the sin in their life while I need to sit next to somebody, open up the Bible and teach them what it says, then I am being light. I am being light when I challenge sin, when I see something wrong, and I say, this is wrong. This is wrong because of this, because of what Scripture says. It is wrong because of what Jesus said. It is wrong and it needs to be corrected. Light is always corrective. The goal of being the light of the world in today's society is to bring people out of darkness into light, to bring them out of sin into righteousness. And this requires words, this requires teaching, this requires preaching, this requires YouTube videos and podcasts and all the ways people get their words into people's heads. They have to know what you're talking about. If you're salt, people just may seem a little uneasy around you, and so they're not going to use bad language if you're being light. They know why they are uneasy around you and what, bad, what is bad about bad language and what we need to be doing to move things forward. The, the idea that uh, we can be passive people and the world will be saved is incorrect. We need to, at some point, teach the Bible to them. When I witness to people... Uh, I've gone and I've knocked on all the doors that are around here. And when people answer, they got two things. They got a little card saying that we're a church and we're at 1045 on Sundays. And this is what we do. And I also give them a gospel of John because knowledge of this church is not going to save anybody. But you put the word of God in their hands and they begin reading the Gospel of John, we use the Gospel of John because the statements that it makes about itself, that it was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is considered an evangelistic track, not just a Gospel. So it has been packaged in handoutable forms, and we hand it out because I'm not going to convince somebody to be saved. I'm not going to argue somebody into the kingdom of God. But the word of God is, the word of God is going to convict their hearts and convict them of sin and bring them into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so that is kind of our, our view of how we interface with the community. We invite people to church, but if you're not going to come, well, I'm going to give you the word of God to read and then pray for your salvation. You put these two things together and you end up with um, an impact on the world that even though everybody is not saved, you would find if you are impacting people at television studios, you would have better, more wholesome TV, but since Christians don't seem to care, and if you... People have looked at the world and people have looked, people who do not believe have looked at the various groups that have impact on the world. And politically, Christians are called evangelicals, if you've ever heard that word. That is the 
group that poll takers will put you into, they believe that we don't care because we're not involved in anything, because we don't stand up and say, foul, when God is defamed or when Jesus is misnamed. And so even from the worldly standpoint of looking how we've interfaced with society in the last couple of generations, we have become impotent. We have begun to say, well, the world's going to hell and we're going to let it because I'm saved and our little group here is saved. And so the idea that I need to at least slow it down as a command of Christ is something that we have moved away from. And so we need to be people who bring flavor and influence of value into the world also. Jesus says in verse uh, 13, if the salt loses its flavor, what is it good for? Salt, we know today, is a molecule uh, potassium chloride, right? Is that salt? Uh, NP something or other. What? Sodium chloride. That's right, sodium chloride. <laughs> and it's a chemical, it's a molecule that the, the ancient Romans didn't know about, but we know how it's put together and we can look at it under a microscope. And if you add other atoms to this molecule, it turns into something else other than salt when Jesus was in the world, and even today you have the Sea of Galilee up north and the Jordan River and then the uh, Dead Sea or the sea, Great Sea Salt, uh, Sea of Salt down at the bottom. It is the lowest part on the earth. It is the most saltiest part of the earth. And if you go there and you take a spoonful and you sprinkle it on your, on your popcorn... You can't eat your popcorn because it's salt, but it ain't table salt. It's nasty salt. It's salt with gypsum and all other stuff. I read the list of stuff that's in the Dead Sea salt, and it's a nasty list. It still has sodium in it, and that's about the only thing that relates it to salt. Nowadays, there are mineral baths. You can go there and spend all your money and go sit in this salt, and it will suck all the impurities out of your body, they say. Uh, but it's toxic to eat. And if you were to grab some of that and go set up a stand saying, sea salt, sea salt is advertised today, you would be tricking people and they would take a taste and they would hate it. And so they would throw it into the road. And that is kind of what they did back in Jesus' day because you didn't throw it in the garden because it would kill all your plants and you didn't throw it in the garbage in your house because it stank. So you had to throw it on the road and it just got put underfoot and was useless. And when a Christian becomes worldly, when a Christian says, I don't like this corruption, but this corruption is really fun. And they begin to buy into the things of the world because it is pleasurable to the flesh, because it is distracting to the mind. It is something that brings about momentary goodness and satisfaction. That person's saltiness in that group is removed. I used to work in, 
in the secular corporate world. And if I would go in there and be one who has coarse talk or stole from the company or did all manner of things not caring what people thought, and then after a couple years I started being true salt, they wouldn't believe me. They would have seen who I really was and changing my character is something that is not believed in the world today, especially in the political realm. If you did something 10 years ago that, they, that people don't like, well, you're still a bad person, they say, that people can't change, and that is the view of the world. Christ says, and we believe, that people can change for the better all the time, but the world says, no, 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 if you were this way when I first met you, you will be this way always. I will have destroyed my witness. I will have destroyed my statement to them. I will have lost flavor. Now, am I unsaved? No, I'm still saved. I'm still saved. But in that group of people, my witness, my impact, my influence is lost, is gone. There's nothing I can do, worldly speaking, in the flesh to bring it back. I can only pray for people to change their mind about me. And so to think that, well, I'll be a Christian over here, but not over here, doesn't really work. You have to be a Christian everywhere. You have to have your influence everywhere. Back when I worked at Western Digital, I had my Bible on my desk and I would go to the lunchroom and I would eat my lunch in the lunchroom reading my Bible, a book like this, you know, something obvious. And I did that every day and then I get called into somebody's office, and he was not in my chain of command, but he was pretty high up. And he says, I noticed that you, uh, you're doing Christian stuff, he said. And he said that he was a deacon in his church, that he knew who Jesus Christ was, that he was a believer. But what he learned is that when he drove into the parking lot, he had to leave Jesus in the car and come into work and not let Jesus influence anything in his life or his behavior. Then, when he was done at the end of the day, he would go out, he would pick up Jesus again and be a Christian. He said he was a Christian outside this building. He was not a Christian inside this building, and he encouraged me to do the same thing. The best sort of respect I could give him, I said, no thank you. <clears throat> I mean, I could have called him an idiot or unsaved, but that is a strange view of a Christian to have, is that I can choose to be a Christian over here, but not over here. And I think a lot of people are tempted with that, and when they get to that point, his witness, his uh, saltiness, his light at that company was zero because he purposefully put Christ away while he was with other people. The last point is, why do you do this? You do this all for the glory of God. Do you do this so that God will be glorified? Now, if I am 
If I'm knocking on doors and I am talking to people uh, and they don't know God, they've never been in church, they're not going to glorify God. Okay, The unsaved person is going to look at what I'm doing, what I'm teaching, and think it's very strange, that it doesn't matter. And so the, the works that I do, these things that I talk about, are for the glory of God in my heart and in yours, hopefully, that when we share what we're doing, when we see other people being salt, when we know people are Christian and see how they act, we can corporately, because we understand who God is, we can give glory to God. We can do it not for my own advancement. I don't do anything so that I am the greatest one. I do everything so that God is the greatest one of which he truly is. God is the only one who deserves our glory. And so when we look at uh, the salt and the light, I just wanted to add this finally, is that the biggest impact on the world today are godly mothers, that a mother who puts God first can be salt to the children all the time, can be light to the children all the time, and you can raise up godly people. I do praise God that I had godly parents who were salt and light to me my whole upbringing. And those who are here today, a couple of you taught me when I was in Sunday school, taught me when I was a wee tot of the great things of God and made me who I am today. And I thank you, spiritual mothers, physical mothers. But we have to remember there is no such thing as an undercover Christian. There is no such thing as a sick, secret Christian. We have to be subtle salt and obvious light. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I just thank you for this day. I pray that you would put a, a sense into each of us that we can be salt in some situations, we can be light in other situations. And I pray that on this day we will remember those who were salt and light to us, our spiritual mothers, our physical mothers, knowing that we know what we know today and we have the character and influence that we have today because of those who came before. Lord, we prayed you for all of these things. And as your blessing on the remainder of the day, we ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.